Fan Junkies Radio is brought to you by FanJunkies.net, where sports meets social networking. Welcome back, and thank you for joining us on another Fan Junkies Radio program. I'm your host, Mike McShane, sitting in for Jonathan Regis, who has yet another day off. And sitting in for Mike McShane is our good friend and one of the voices of CLW83.com, Jim Williams. Jim, give us some words of wisdom today, huh? Well, first of all, if I'm sitting in for you, I think we're going to need a bigger chair. That goes without (laughs) saying. But second of all... Second of all, uh, happy Friday, Friday, got to get down on Friday. It is not just any Friday, though, as as the uh, description below says. It is a cheesesteak, soft pretzel, tasty cake, Philadelphia Friday, which begs the question, Mike, what is your favorite kind of tasty cake? Oh, um, wow. I, 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 I actually like the jelly crimpets. Oh, who doesn't? Uh, sure. And, uh, of course, listen, the standard's got to be the uh, the peanut butter candy cakes, right? As long as there's milk involved, yes. You have to yeah, have them with yeah, milk. Yeah, that's true. You have to. Uh, I'm actually partial towards the lemon pies myself. I can't do lemon. Not, lemon's oh, not no. my thing. I do not like anything lemon. Okay. Nothing lemon. Yeah, we, we've just given Tasty Cake a bunch of free advertising time. Absolutely. So, Kirby the Crimpet, please come and give us a, about a case of uh, Tasty Cakes. Well, yeah. As we'll you be- point out, though, we're, we're getting ready here. You know, the cat's away, the mice will play, so we're going to hijack the show here today. We're, we're taking bringing, over. <laughs> we're bringing a heavy-duty Philadelphia flavor to it. We're going to be joined here uh, at about 10 minutes after the hour uh, by Brad Wilson, who's the Eagles beat writer for the Eastern Express Times. And Jim and I are going to get into all the, the new Eagles era stuff going on with Chip Kelly, uh, with with Brad on that one. And then at about uh, 1230, 1235 or so, we're going to be joined by uh, our good buddy Frank Close from com, And we're going to get... All the latest news, rumors, and gossip on the Philadelphia Phils. So, and uh, in between all that, and even during that, we invite you to chime on in. We have the live chat going, correct? Yes, we do. Very nice. Shout out to everybody in the chat. If there's if there is anybody in the chat, I assume there are. Uh, you can also call us live three four seven two three seven five three seven three. That's three four seven two three seven five three seven three. Yes, we're Philadelphia centric, and the area code is not. I don't get that. They just give us a number arbitrarily as memory serves. And if you have Skype, hit us up on Skype, and uh, we'll we'll put you through. And uh, and not just Philadelphia stuff. We're going to talk about a lot of other things, including right now we're going to uh, get into today in sports history, if Uh, I'm not mistaken. Absolutely. Today in sports, I'm going to take it back to 1969. Uh, On this day, Baltimore, Cleveland, and Pittsburgh all agreed to move from the NFL's NFC to the AFC. Wow, I, I never knew about that. I didn't realize that those three teams were in the NFC. I, I guess where I'm so young, I mean, born in 1984, I would never have thought of those teams as, as NFC teams. Right. Or NF, well, back then, NFL teams. Well, obviously, NFL teams back then, there were no conferences. But right. to, to make everything, you know, checks and balances and whatnot, yeah, you know, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting. And... uh 
The rest, as they say, is history. History is right. Yes. Uh, history. How about a little NBA history from last night? Uh, we had two uh, playoff games going, and one of them actually concluded uh, one of those series, Jim, and that was the uh, San Antonio Spurs. Uh, won that series last night pretty handily, 94-82 over the Golden State Warriors. Uh, won that one by 12 points and uh, finished up that series, and they will be moving on. In fact, they will be going on to play Memphis, the Memphis Grizzlies, which have just been a Cinderella story like you wouldn't believe this season. That's going to be a fun series to watch, and I think it could go the distance. It really could because I think they match up pretty well. What I appreciate about San Antonio, they play, and, and you know this for the last mm, 15 years or so, they play team-style basketball. I mean, there is no superstar with 35. I mean, there are superstars on the team, don't get me wrong, but you don't see somebody scoring 35, 40 points pulling off an Allen Iverson. Yeah, I had to drop that. It's a Philly-centric show today. That's right. But, uh, I mean, Duncan had 19 and 6 boards. Uh, Kawhi Leonard uh, with 16 and 10. They do it as a team. And that's something that is lacking in the 2013 NBA, if you ask me. But that being said... Props given to the Golden State Warriors on coming back to relevancy. And I think Mark Jackson is going to lead this team back to this point in the coming years and perhaps further. I think they've got a good mix. They've got a good young core, the right head coach. I think Golden State's going to make some noise come uh, the next two or three years in the NBA playoff picture. I might agree with you. I might agree with you on that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, over in the other game, uh, the Knicks won a a must-win game last night, Uh, came back and beat the Indiana Patriots. They were playing at home, uh, the Knicks were, and they won that game 85-75. to That keeps them alive in the series. Series still uh, favoring uh, Indiana as they're up three games to two. Game six coming up tomorrow night, that goes back to Indiana. What's your thinking on that one, uh, on, on that one? I think back home again in Indiana. Yeah, thank you, Jim Neighbors. Uh, I think uh, I think the Pacers close it out. I just think they have. I just think they have the uh, the it factor to get it done. I mean, I, I can't really put a gauge on it or a finger on it. It's just a hunch. I think Indiana takes care of business and and cleans it out. Because if it goes back to New York, you know, all bets are off. Right. Right. All bets are absolutely off, and you know, while I love Game Sevens, I just don't think this goes to a Game Seven. I think Indiana's the more complete team, and there there's still some gelling that needs to be done uh, for the Knickerbockers. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, there you go with that. Uh, in the NBA, the association just one game tonight, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, let me check. See, we do this on the fly, ladies. Yes, we do. As you can tell. Actually, there are no games tonight. I take that back. There are uh, no games tonight. The only game, uh, game six Saturday, ESPN, 8 o'clock in Indiana. Correct. There you go. Correct. And, uh, that's, the, uh, that's the round ball roundup, as it were. Except for one thing. Yes. The big story that doesn't even have to do with the playoffs. Ladies and gentlemen, the Sacramento Kings are moving to... Hopefully a new arena in about five to ten years. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the news broke over the course of the day that uh, the Maloofs, or some would call them the Aloofs, uh, have decided to sell and have uh, gotten approval to sell their uh, their ownership of the Sacramento Kings for a league record 
what is it, 553 million, something like that? Yeah, 535 million. 535, I get the numbers transposed. What's what 17, 18 million among friends? Exactly. To a local ownership group there in Sacramento, they are vowing to keep the team there at the much-beloved Sleep Train Arena. I'm sorry, I can't, I can't say that without giggling. Sleep Train <laughs> over. I'd rather have the Soul Train Arena. Don Cornelius can come from the heavens above, and yeah, it'd be awesome. <laughs> You bet your last money it'll be a stone gas, honey. But no, seriously, this is great news for a town like Sacramento. Kevin Johnson should be commended. Uh, the fans should be commended for keeping the support going. Now the question becomes, and now the statement actually becomes, they have to keep coming out. Yep. They have got to keep well, now because they've kept it in their backyard. They can't back down. They can't be like, oh, yeah, we got this franchise forever. Let's just uh, come back when they win. You've got to stay supportive. Absolutely. You know, Jonathan and I were talking about that the other day uh, when the first time around it actually appeared that uh, the Kings were going to stay. Uh, mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden things got all mixed up again. And then the relocation committee said they were going to look at it again because apparently the offer from the uh, uh, Seattle group uh, was increased. And then, uh, uh, I mean, it just got so convoluted in some respects. But the first time around it actually appeared the relocation committee had voted unanimously to keep Sacramento where they were, and it appeared it was a done deal point that it was going that they were going to stay. That was about ten days ago, and Jonathan and I both said, "Well, this gives the Sacramento fan base a second life, and they better take advantage of that and support this team." You know, and, and if they don't, you know, it's going to be get up and move these anyway. Right. I mean, you know, you're only as good as your fan base is, and. Uh, while they've been supportive, and let, let's let's not you know mince words here, the folks in Sacramento have been, I'm going to say it the most polite way I can, Jedi mind tricked yeah. by the moves over the better part of the last four or five years. Remember, this was a team that a decade ago was one shot away from the NBA Finals. Correct. With Flotty Divac and Jason Williams and uh, uh, Chris Weber and the like, they had a they had a good nucleus in place. Uh, and who's to say they can't get back there? Right now, they are the fourth best California basketball team behind the Warriors and the two Los Angeles teams. Right. Uh, you know, the building blocks are, are, are slowly being put in place. Hopefully, they get a new arena because Arco slash Sleep Train is an absolute dump. It's akin to the spectrum when it comes to sight lines for people who have told me who uh, live out on the West Coast. Shout out, Steve Bryant. How you doing? Uh, you know, hopefully this all works out. So, uh, you know, we wish the best to the people in Sacramento. Yeah, uh, real quick, though, uh, I, I think one of the things, and let me just get your reaction to it, one of the things that did surprise me was the vote from the Board of Governors, which ultimately cemented this, and that was a 22-8 to 8 vote in, in, in uh, favor of keeping Sacramento where they were. Did that come as a surprise to you, Jim? Uh, yes and no. In, in the one respect, it's, it's surprising. In the, you know, in the numbers, that it was so definite. Uh, and also because David Stern, I think one of the things he was looking to do before he hightailed it out was get a franchise back in Seattle. Yeah, exactly. But uh, but in the other respect, I think the ownership kind of felt some compassion to the people in Sacramento. So I see it both ways. Right. All right. Well, there's our there's our big hot news there on the uh, Sacramento Kings. Uh, and at this point, what I want to do is I want to bring in our guest, uh, uh, Brad, guest. Brad Wilson from... The Eastern Express Times. Brad, you there? I am here. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. And we we thank you for joining us here on our Fan Junkies uh, radio program. Talk a little bit of Eagles. Uh, um, 
The uh, okay. go ahead. No, go go right ahead. I'm sorry. That's all right. The, uh, all, all, you know, all of the Philadelphia communities are buzz over this whole new era of uh, Eagles football that we're looking at. Um, you let's let's get right into the uh, into the draft uh, that we just saw, which had to be one of the more unusual drafts I think that we have seen all across football in many many years. Um, in a recent article over there at uh, at the Express Times, uh, Brett. You had given uh, you gave the Eagles a pretty high grade on this. Talk to us about that one. Well, I think I, I gave them a high grade for a couple of reasons. I think they they they, uh, they, they got guys that fit what I see as Kelly's profile uh, of a player. He got guys that are athletic, that are mobile, that are versatile, that can do different things on the field at different times. Um, like a guy like Ertz could be your fullback. He could be your H back. He could be your tight end. You could yes. split him out. Um, I, so that's what I really liked about it. And it was, defensively, he got the same thing, too. Guys that can move, guys that are, that, that, that are talented, versatile. That's what I liked about the draft. And then, of course, the fact that, you know, that they made the one trade that they made in the draft was instead of the past practice to trade to pile up seventh-round draft picks, which I never quite understood, mm-hmm. they made a trade to draft, who, you know, a, a, a guy who might be the best quarterback in the draft. Mm-hmm. So I, I like the, um, you know, I really like the long-term potential of the draft. I'm not sure that it's going to result in, you know, six starters this year. So. Right. But I think, Kelly, I think people have to realize this is a, the Eagles are not a very good football team, and it's going to take a little while to rebuild them. And I think Kelly made us some excellent steps in the draft. And you mentioned the quarterback who may be the best quarterback in the draft, uh, Matt Barkley, picked up uh, in the middle rounds of, of the draft. Do you automatically see him as a player when it comes to potentially getting either the starting or backup job with this Eagles team under a new regime? I mean, you've got Foles, you've got Vic in place. Can Barkley contend with these two from Jump Street? Oh, I think so, absolutely. I, I think he can, and I'll, uh, for, for two reasons. First of all, <clears throat> um, one thing in the draft that was very important was that Kelly seemed to gravitate towards players that he was familiar with, that he had seen play, that he knew what they should do. And obviously, he, when he was in Oregon, he saw a lot of what Matt Barkley can do. Right. So I think he seeing what he saw in Matt Barkley is, is a potential NFL quarterback and a potential starter. The other thing is, new regime, new era. He didn't draft Nick Foles. He didn't sign Michael Vick, uh, you know, initially. Um, those guys are on the roster. That's what was there. But he has no particular loyalty towards them, particularly not the loyalty towards Vic that Andy Reid has. So uh, a, a new guy coming in, uh, I think, has a real chance to, uh, you know, to, 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 to impress people and to make people think that, uh, you know, to, to show people that he can win the job. And I think he does have an excellent chance to, to win the job. I'm not predicting that he's going to. I mean, you know, it's, it's mid-May. We're a long way off. Right. Um, sure. But I do think he has a legitimate chance, yes. The, and the other reason, I think, and third reason is, if you look at the kid's numbers, he can play. I mean, I, I'd love to know what, what made him, too, you know, last year at this time he would have been considered one of the, the best quarterback in the draft. You know, easily a first-round pick and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then now he's, a, you know, over a year. I don't think it makes that much difference. I think people's got a bargain there. I, You know, the question was arm strength uh, in some ways. And Kelly came up and line said, we're not trying to knock over milk cans at a county fair here. We're trying to complete <laughs> passes. 
So. Yeah, and that's a gr- that's a great line by Kelly. As a matter of fact, speaking of Chip <laughs> Kelly, I think a lot of people, a lot of fans here in Philadelphia, aren't exactly sure what he's going to bring to the table in terms of an offensive scheme. I've heard some some national sports pundits talk about. Uh, I think it was actually on the Dan Patrick Show recently, talking about how he's the kind of guy who is. His offense is going to be to try to have 15, 16, 17 more plays on offense per game right. than the other team. Do you have any sort of a tell at this early stage what kind of an offense, uh, compared to what he ran in Oregon, we should expect to see here in Philadelphia? You know, I, I'm not sure that he knows exactly what kind of offense he's going to have yet. <laughs> I think he's... I, I, to be, I, I, mean, I, I, he, I mean, he's not going to run a you know, fullback, halfback, you know, um, you know, power set. That's that's not going to happen. But mm-hmm. I, I still think he's evaluating the talent that he has on the Eagles and seeing in, in which who, which players can be most useful in which roles and which direction he's going to go in. My my prediction is you're going to see more of an up tempo offense. I think right. you're going to see a lot of um, uh, of running plays that are designed to uh, slash off the edges and try to break um, uh, the running backs out into um, out into the open field. Uh, I think you're going to see a lot of um, the kind of, uh, not so much necessarily the deep passes, but perhaps uh, a, a little bit more of the, um, of, of the, the not, and not necessarily screens, but, but, but flares and, and slants and, and, and quick hitters um, designed to take advantage of the one thing that he seems to be stressing across the board, which is speed. And then, you know, once you, get, you can get set up and get down the field that way. But I'm not sure that he knows what kind of offense. He's going to run because I'm not sure that he has 100% evaluated the talent that he has. He keeps pointing out whenever he gets asked long-term questions, he says, you know, it's mid May. I just don't know yet. Um, I think what makes it an exciting process is that everybody's kind of in the process of discovery, the players, the coaches, and the fans will be too once they get a chance to see it. Right. Let me go back uh, for a moment, uh, Brad, to the uh, Matt Barkley issues. Uh, sure. And I hear what you're saying, and I think you're absolutely right. And I think there's a lot of speculation going on about the type of offense that Kelly's going to run. I think everybody's kind yeah. of assuming it's going to be this Oregon sort of uh, 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 prototype. Barkley, if we were to put him into that scheme, that Oregon scheme, it doesn't. It looks like a, a round peg in a square hole. Well, yes, I agree with that, and I, I think Kelly has consistently. <laughs> I think there's a couple of misconceptions about what Kelly ran at Oregon. I think, you know, he kept pointing out, he said that, you know, he said for his quarterbacks, he says, I'm not looking for a running back that can throw. He says, I'm looking for a quarterback who can throw and complete passes and maybe run a little bit. Right. Um, he, 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 he points out constantly he does not run the kind, his offense did not run the kind of quarterback read option running that, that, that say, that um, Urban Meyer's offense would do at Ohio State. Um so I think that if Barkley shows he can play, and if he, Barkley shows he can be the guy who can um, complete the most passes and cut down on the turnovers, which just have murdered the Eagles in the last couple of years have been quarterback state turnovers, whether they were fumbles or interceptions, I think that the offense will be adjusted to allow him, allow his strengths to, to, to come through. I don't think the biggest thing about Kelly's offense is a mobile quarterback or running. I think it's the pace and the play calling. And if Kelly, and if Barkley can can do that, I think he'll get a chance. The, the line that Kelly used was the most important thing he's looking for in a quarterback is to be um, consistently, is, uh, 
repetitive consistency to, to throw the ball in the right place, the right time, the most often. And if Barkley can do that, he'll get the job. Who's the QB on the opening day? Oh, boy. Um, I could see um, this being one of those situations where one of the veterans starts, where Vic starts, but by week, maybe not week three, because they have that short week, because they have the, the, the Chiefs um, in, uh, in that in that NF, in the uh, Thursday night game. But maybe week four, you know, with the longer week to prepare, maybe that's when you see Barkley, if he stepped up and shown what he can do. So I would, I'll say Vic, but if you ask me the quarterback on week eight, I would very, I, that would be much different. I think that could be Barkley. So are do you feel then that in the absence of Vic, the automatic second would be Barkley, not Foles? You know, Foles, you know, well, let me, let me put it to you this way. If you were drafting last year when the Eagles drafted Foles, would you have drafted Barkley ahead of Foles? I would have. Yes. Um, and then if you you know, and then if you look at the fact that look at the success the rookie quarterbacks had last year. Now I'm not saying Matt Barkley is RG three or Russell Wilson. He, who knows? Maybe he is, but we don't necessarily know that. But on the other hand, did anybody think Russell Wilson at this time last year would turn out to be what he did? Correct. You know, turned out to be what he accomplished. I I think there's a move in the NFL towards you know rookie quarterbacks getting out of the field a little faster. And I, I think yeah, I I think it could be that way. I think. I, I think it could be Barkley. We're, maybe we're exaggerating a little bit here, but Barkley may not be as good as everyone thought he was last year. But he, I don't think, based on his numbers and his physical ability and his mental ability, that he's as, you know, quote, bad as he seemed to be on, on draft day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let, let me get into Lane Johnson a little bit. This guy sure. kind of all of a sudden uh, shot up the draft board. Uh, yes. And there was a, you know, I... I I was a little bit skeptical, and I still am, and I'm going to be honest. Okay. Only because of the fact that uh, he really kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, there's been some speculation that, in fact, the reason that occurred, uh, he's a little bit perhaps maybe overinflated simply because of the two guys that were ahead of him. Uh, what do you make of that? And is Lane Johnson really all that? Well, <clears throat> I think um... – I think one of the toughest positions in the NFL for, uh, um, for a rookie to step in and to play is offensive line. Um, I think the physical nature of the sport, the, the, the increasing mental demands that are made on offensive linemen, um, I, I think that's one of the places where a rookie really um, is, is, is challenged to start. Um, I think Lane Johnson will be given every opportunity to start. What I like about him is two things. I like his speed and his mobility. Um, and, again, this is what Kelly seems to want in offensive linemen. It's a guy who can drive people back, who can who, who can who can move a little more quickly. Um, and the other thing with Johnson is, is that um, since he's hardly he hasn't played offensive line for that long. Right. Um, as you know, he was a quarterback in, in high school and he was recruited right. into to junior college as a quarterback. Um, and then he played tight end and he played defensive line. Um, it sounds really strange, but it's, while he doesn't have tons of experience, he also hasn't had time to develop any bad habits. So in some way he's a top tackle uh, of that, that Kelly can build what he wants in, in a tackle. Um, I I I I have to admit I like the pick. I I would, if one of the other two guys was there, would the Eagles have taken him instead of uh, Johnson? They say no. Now we'll never know. But of course, um, I I like I, I I did not like when the Eagles drafted Danny Watkins. I I didn't think that was a good pick. I do think this is a good pick. All right. 
I, I would agree with that. I think Lane Johnson's a blue chipper, and he could be the emergency quarterback if necessary. For, no, I'm kidding. For this, for this team, <laughs> that would be, that would well, be hilarious. That, yeah, that, would be, that would be one of those. That would be an ESPN uh, highlight uh, highlight reel. Oh, that when that. Oh happens. yeah, that'll that'll make all the blooper reels in NFL films. <laughs> Looking, looking ahead to the schedule, yeah. and, of course, the schedule came out a little while ago, the one game that yeah. obviously is circled and ingrained on my mind is the meeting, the primetime meeting on NFL Network between the Chiefs and the Eagles. And if I'm not mistaken, that game, it is first of all, is at home. Second yeah. of all, is the game where so many different moving parts from years gone by are going to be there. Of course, Andy Reid coming back. And if I'm not mistaken, also, that's the night Donovan McNabb's number is retired by the team. That's correct. He is yeah. honored by the team. So I got to beg a question to you, just and this is a fan question more than an actual sure. football question. Sure. What kind of response do you think McNabb's going to get from the Lincoln Financial Field crowd, and does he go down as the greatest Eagles quarterback of modern uh, football, shall we say, since since say the merger, let's say? Wow, you're uh, <laughs> well, you're asking Loading a question that would, <laughs> you're asking a question that would. Uh, uh, spark a lot of conversation in a lot of sports bars from uh, you know from Wilmington to Trenton. I can guarantee you that. Um, <laughs> Most definitely. That's our job you know, here. <laughs> uh, I uh, um, two things. I think McNabb will get a decent response from the crowd. I think he'll get a good response from the crowd. Um, actually, um, I think people maybe seen what happened since he left, and suddenly um, you know he doesn't look so bad. Um, you know uh, the fact that he. Um, I, I think he'll get a decent, uh, you know, uh, 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 response. I also think he and Reed are tied together. They'll go down in Eagles history as a, yes. as a pair. And, oh, and cool. having them both there on the same night makes a lot of sense. And now Reed, you know, the fans gave Reed a nice response at the end of last season. So, I mean, there was some booing, but there was some, there were a lot of cheers. I think McNabb will do okay. Is he the best Eagles quarterback since the merger? I, I mean, they won, of course, the 1960 NFL championship with Norm Van Brocklin, um, you know, and, and McNabb never won. I mean, he won an NFC once, which I guess is the same sort of thing. You know, it, there was no Super Bowl back then. Um, I would say, um, yes, I would yeah. say that. There are a yeah. lot of Eagles fans that wouldn't, though. There are a lot of fans who, you know, McNabb never won a Super Bowl. Well, Dan Marino never won a Super Bowl. Is he the greatest quarterback in Miami Dolphins history? Yes. Well, I think the same with McNabb. Yeah. I mean, it's one, it's one of those fun questions because a lot of people are going to float out Jaworski because he yeah. also went to the Super Bowl. A lot of people, of course, are going to float out Randall Cunningham. I, and I, I prefaced it by saying since the merger because I think Van Brocklin trumps them all because of the fact that he won the big game and, and what yeah. have you. Although you can make a case McNabb may be as good or better than him statistically because, of course, you're comparing two different errors. It's one of those classic, uh, like you say, sports pub conversations. I, I think it's going to be interesting also, like you mentioned, to see the reaction Andy Reid's going to get and uh, see how long it'll take for him to go back to his old ways at Lincoln Financial Field of forgetting how to manage the clock. Yeah. Very exciting. Well, the, yeah, the, whole McNabb, the whole McNabb thing, though, goes to many different levels. I think you have to look at it on different levels. You know, we're talking about uh, whether the Eagles honor him, whether they re retire his number. Uh, uh, then you, t you can take it all the way out to, you know, is McNabb a Hall of Fame uh, candidate? So, That's I mean, there's all kinds of different levels you have to kind of look at McNabb at. I, for one, think that the Eagles probably should – recognize him i i think i mean statistically without a doubt he is he was the best quarterback to date the eagles have ever had statistically is he hall of fame material i don't think so no 
I would say if he was a baseball player, I would say no, because I've always – it seems to me that the Baseball Hall of Fame is harder to get into than the Football Hall of Fame. Um, he might be a football and a football hall of fame. I I go back and forth on the topic. I tend to lean towards no, but I see some of the guys get in, and I'm like, well, he's as good as that guy. They, the baseball seems to me to be harder to get in the, in the in the hall of fame. Right, right. And we can only assume that McNabb did not use performance enhancing drugs at any point. He just vomited on the field once in a big game. That's his claim to fame. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I had to. It's just. You hate that being the guy's legacy because he did do a lot of awfully good things and he won a yeah, lot of games here. And, thank you, Brad. You're I right, agree that's with what you. people remember. I agree with you, though. That's, I, I, you know, everybody always wants to bring up the, the you know, the most uh, visual uh, negative things that they can think of about uh, McNabb, and I'm really there are visual, right. visual people in this day and age, uh, Mike. I hate to say, so. <laughs> and it's uh, yeah, it's, yes. Uh, the one thing I would say about Donovan McNabb is that, um, uh, from the Eagles' point of view, was that the <clears throat> he brought a level of consistent success to the franchise that a guy like sure. Cunningham could never quite do. Um, Very you know, true. I mean, they won, you know, and he was McNabb was. Cons- I mean, he had his bad games, but if you look at the over the years when he was here, the Eagles were consistently successful. They didn't win the big game. You know, they they, they, they struggled. Uh, I mean, the game that I think stands out as the biggest failure of McNabb is not actually losing the Super Bowl. Um, I, I think the game they lost to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the, the NFC Championship was I mean, it was was I mean, that, the, in the play. The year before, uh, that yeah. Team, yeah. Yeah. That team they should have beaten, I, I yes. think. If that's the game, if you want to pick on McNabb, I would point to that one. But um, there was a consistent level of success, and is that does that make him a Hall of Famer? I, I'm like you. I lean towards no, but I could be convinced yes. What's yeah, your... it, it would take several years if he even got in, obviously, because they're you know yeah. considering the talent around him that retired at about the same time. Yeah, good luck. So, yeah. well, Right, that's the other thing. If you look at yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. Brad, what's your um, early uh, what's your early predict for uh, season record here? We were talking about this the other day. Um, the uh, <clears throat> I think you know I look at it and it looks to me somewhere between six and ten and eight and eight. Yeah. Is this you know, fan base gonna, is this fan base going to be copacetic with that? Yes, this year. Okay. Yes, yeah. I think so. Remember, Reed came to. in in his first first year didn't have the greatest of years. Yeah, this mm-hmm. year. I think what people want to see this year is, I think the last couple of years they kept seeing the same mistakes being made, the same games being lost the same way. You know, leading into the third, leading into the fourth quarter and blowing a lead. You know, incredibly ill-timed um, turnovers, uh, a defensive secondary that just couldn't cover anybody, and and they may lose this year in different ways. But that might be okay because at least it's showing a sign that things are changing. Right. I think people are tired of. The way the last of the end, the read era ended in the same kind of mistake every week. It was kind of a, it was different in the sense that somebody else was committing the screw up, mm-hmm. um, but it was it was the same kind of mistakes. And I think I think Kelly will get a, a year. I, I do. I, I um, you know two years. I don't know about that. And, but one year, I think the fan base will be okay with that as long as they see. I mean, if the if the, if the season ends with you know a fifty six nothing loss and the Eagles are two and fourteen. That might not be – that would cause a problem. That the fan base might not accept. But if they see steps being made in the right direction, younger players contributing um, a new system and an, and, a, and an exciting system. And frankly, if Kelly – we haven't talked much about defense. 
But if Kelly puts in a defensive system that just has the secondary covering receivers competently, which mm-hmm. the Eagles couldn't do the, the, the last year, I think the fan base will jump for joy for that. But as long as we see signs of progress and some success, I think it'll be okay. Yep. Yeah, as long as we even get like a full season with a fully intact offensive line that doesn't go down, that will be a blessing in this guy's as well. So, yeah. oh, that'll be huge. There's no question. Yeah. There's no question that part of the problem with the turnovers was, you know, the quarterbacks are looking up and there's the defensive lineman right there, and you know they've taken one step back and exactly you know, there's, there's so. a guy in their face. That'll be huge. I think you can't underestimate that. And I, and, you know, getting Jason Peters back. I mean, you're talking about you took one of the best tackles in the NFL off the team. Now you're putting him back on the team. That's that's like a, that's like getting you know a, a, you know two first round draft picks. One way to look at it, mm-hmm. you know you you got Lane Johnson, you got Jason Peters. Yeah, because Jason I, Peters I, can already play. So mm-hmm. yeah, I agree with you about the offensive line, and also just the the whole idea of, of of having a defensive coordinator who actually you know knows about defense and coach defense. Yeah, you know that's <laughs> uh, you know that's who knows what difference that'll make. Heck, they might go ten and six with that. Exactly. <laughs> Stranger things have happened. Stranger things have happened. Brad, always you know, a pleasure. So, yeah. A pleasure talking with you. You're from the East Express Times, LehighValleyLive.com, correct? That is correct. You can – You can. Uh, that is correct. Uh, I do a lot, I do other things. Don't go to looking for Just Eagles. I do a lot of other things. With right. Jack of all trades in a paper like ours. But, uh, um, yeah, the, you know, we, we – uh, that's where you can find me. It's a pleasure talking to you, gentlemen. I hope to do so again. Yes, can we get you back on during the uh, season? Yes? Quick, oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. All right, great. Quick closing question before you go, Brad, because sure. I know you write about horse racing, among other things. Who you got tomorrow yeah. at Freakness? Well, you know, Orb was awfully impressive in the Derby, and I, I was a doubter of, of Orb. I'll be absolutely con- candid with you. Um, Lord knows if I wish I'd bet that exacta, even on a wheel. Woo! 981, because <laughs> it's a Derby exacta. Thank you. There won't be any such payoffs uh, if Orb wins this Saturday at Pimlico. But uh, I, I like what Orb has done, and I think he's got an, uh, an excellent. Um, he's you know on the rail. I think he'll be fine there. Uh, I, I like Orb to win. Uh, I think it's my lucky day. Uh, might you know might be able to you know to, to push him a little bit. It might be them and, and Orb down the stretch. But I like I, I like Orb, and that he's going home to try to win the triple crown. It's a great story if it happens. There okay. you go. Absolutely. All right, thanks, Brad. We appreciate the time, Brad Wilson from the Eastern Express Times, LehighValleyLive.com. dot com. All right, Brad, take care. Good night. All right, right, take care now. Good insights from Mr. Wilson. Absolutely. And uh, we hope to have him back down the road here on Fan Junkies Radio to talk uh, as the Eagles go forward with the Chip Kelly regime, season one of the experiment, shall we say. Yep, absolutely. And and I'm happy because I got what I wanted out of him, or will win. Tomorrow evening. That's all you wanted to hear. You just needed yeah, to have that. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I got you. I got you. Well, I mean, because it's only a nine-horse affair there at at the Preakness, and it's him and even money. That's the morning line right now, Orb, on on the inside rail. Then you've got my loot at five to one, departing at six to one, and then it just you know it's long shots from there. Yeah, so. you know, you and I were talking about this a little bit pre-show. Uh, this has got to be one of the least talked about horse racing seasons I can remember in a long, long time. There just seems to be no hype. And I think that you and I kind of came to the conclusion over that, that it just appears there really isn't any uh, real contender, I guess, for a Triple Crown. Well, I mean, we'd like to think Orb might be that contender now, but back uh, two, three weeks ago, it's just... And I think part of it is the fact that the horse racing... uh, 
I don't want to say industry, but the sport of kings, if you will, has been jaded by all the uh, the drug. You know, we talk about PEDs and baseball, same sort of thing in in, uh, in horse racing. Interesting. So uh, that's part of it too. But we 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 go from horse racing and we go back to baseball. It all kind of goes and flows because we have another guest. Our second guest is on the line, if I'm yep. not mistaken. Yes, we are. Yep. Yes, we got. Yeah, the owner and editor of Philadelphia.com. That's the word Philly and then Delphia if you're scoring at home. And it sounds like he's mobilizing. This is exciting. Frank Close joins us here on Fan Junkies Radio. Good afternoon, Frank. Hey, guys. How you doing? Real good. Are you on the road? I am on the road. That's what I thought. Please tell me you've got a headset on. We don't want you to, you know, get pulled over. I have Bluetooth in my car, so it's just like I'm talking to the person sitting next to me. There you go. Good deal. Uh, Jim Williams here with Mike McShane. Glad you're here. I know you did five minutes of the frat house uh, last night, and you can check that out on YouTube. Wanted to give you a little plug there, Mikey. Thank you, Jim. Uh, YouTube.com, <laughs> search for five minutes of the frat house. And I'm sure many of the things you talked about we're going to talk about here for our audience here this afternoon. The first thing that comes to mind, of course, is the news of Roy Halladay. You talk about him having the successful surgery, and the prognosis is he could be throwing in six to eight weeks. Do you realistically think Roy Halladay's going to take the mound come August or September this year? Well, I think somebody like Roy Halladay is definitely going to try. Uh, I think he'll give it his best. I really don't think there's any guarantee he'll pitch this year, but certainly when the rosters expand in September, it'll, it'll be easy to, to give somebody like Roy Halladay a shot uh, to at least throw some innings. Uh, but when they say throwing six to eight weeks, you know, you're talking the most basic of a long toss there is. Uh, so there's really no guarantee, but if anybody's going to make it happen, it'll be Roy Halladay. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to see him come back. I'd love to see him go come back to the the Halladay of old. I was talking about it on my baseball podcast, Touch Em All, about how we think he may be as, as good as done because of this kind of injury and how he and, – and, and the mechanics of it all and how it all happened, how he played through the pain – it was kind of a darned if you do, darned if you don't situation because you know as well as I do, Frank. In this town, we applaud you for playing through pain, but we also hate on you for not admitting that you're playing through pain. So he was in a no-win situation, wasn't he? Well, I think that uh, I think that the nature of this injury, he actually didn't feel the pain uh, up until his uh, last good start, if you want to call it that, against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, all along, he had a bone spur. It wasn't really uh, rubbing up against anything to the point where it was painful to him. He just wasn't throwing the same. And finally, when the pain got up to him, uh, there was reason to go look into it. But uh, I do believe Halliday, when he, when he says he didn't really feel the pain until those last couple starts before um, they finally had to shut him down. Mm-hmm. Frank, this team just really is lacking. We talked a little bit about it last night. Uh, on five minutes at the frat house. This team is really, really lacking uh, in offense. Um, what is the – I mean, we <laughs> they've got two hitting coaches now, for gosh sakes. I mean, what in the world is going on here uh, with with the offense on this team? Well, I don't think you can, you can teach old dogs new tricks. I think that's part of the problem. Uh, you have uh, Chase Lee, Ryan Howard, and Jimmy Rollins. While they contribute something still, it's not what they used to contribute. And gone are the days where they had complimentary pieces like Jason Worth and Shane Victorino. Not that I advocate that the Phillies should have signed either of those players. I don't think they should have. Uh, but um, 
you know, they're still kind of playing their old game with, with home runs, and there's just simply uh, not people on base around them. And, they're, you know, their last 15 home runs have been solo home runs. Right. And uh, on top of that, um, you don't have those high on-base percentage guys around them anyway. So the, and they're not hitting with as many home runs as they used to. So all that kind of uh, spills a, uh, an offensive disaster. I don't well, know. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mike. Uh, I was going to say, are, is there any – I mean, do you think there's going to be any point shortly perhaps where Ruben is going to make a move to go get this team a couple of six? Well, I think the first move that you'll see will be Darren Ruff coming up from AAA. Um, he was sent down to the minors not for his bat but for his his uh, fielding and his defense. So he he, he uh, apparently is doing a fine job in in uh, in Lehigh Valley uh, AAA, doing you know to, to to get his glove up to par. And uh, they might just they might just finally put an end to this whole Delman Young experiment and and bring Ruff up because Delman Young isn't. Young isn't doing much of anything. No, no. Talking about uh, players who are not doing much of anything, the offense is a big problem, but problem 1A is the bullpen. This bullpen is, uh, you know, bleeding and hemorrhaging at all seams. I mean, the setup guy, when you, anytime Antonio Bastardo takes the mound, I'm already turning the channel off because I know the game's over. Guy's going to give up the lead automatically. Uh do you think a bigger concern for this team right now is getting somebody reliable in the setup role in, in, in short relief or long relief as opposed to getting the bats going? Well, I, I think one thing that, that I think that might be a little bit overblown from the standpoint that early on uh, the, the Philly starters were falling behind and they were going to their middle guys. And they have a lot of middle guys that are kind of the same pitcher. Um, so when you look at uh, somebody like Chad Durbin, and who's always who's always been, if you look at his numbers, he had a 90 ERA last year in April. So he kind of improved from last year. Of course, he went on to have a, a very decent season. Uh, but um, I think when you have Raul Valdez and Chad Durbin and Jeremy Horst all kind of pitching the same way, uh, it looks a lot worse than it is. Now, I think since that start, Horst has come around a little bit. Um, I do think, however, they need to get rid of either Chad Durbin or uh, Raul Valdez, and I would lean towards keeping Durbin up at two uh, because of mm. his record and and the fact that he usually is a slow starter. Uh, but uh, I think I think uh, having Justin DeFreitas is going to be a big help for the Phillies bullpen. Uh, of all their young relievers, I think the most to him. Um, I think he has a real a real shot to be a really solid uh, back end of the bullpen type pitcher. Uh, so I think we'll settle some things down. Um, we're dealing with Philippe Lamont's growing pains a little bit. Um, but I think he'll still be good. I mean, his ERA is still about two, four, five, despite the fact he's get, he's lost a few games and given right. up key runs. So, so I think he's coming along. Uh, but in terms of Antonio Bastardo, I, I, I still think he's okay. Um, you know, I'm not saying he's uh, you know a top left-handed setup man, but um, he has his moments where his uh, you know very fast fastball just goes right down the middle of the plate and is hit. So um, I wouldn't give up on him, but um, but I, I think it's I think it's going to get better as time goes on. And get, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say let's get into Cole Hamels for a moment since we're talking about pitching. Uh, Cole Hamels right now is one in six with a four point six one ERA. Um, Jason Stark over at ESPN, uh, who as we all know does incredible analysis work, 
uh, the guy's a walking encyclopedia, mm-hmm. apparently has uh, taken a good look at Hamels and says that his pitch selection this year is completely different from anything he has done before. Is there something wrong with Cole Hamels? Well, if you're talking pitch selection, you can look at the fact that he didn't have his catcher for the whole first month. Um, True. And I think that since uh, since Carlos Ruiz has gotten back, I've seen with all the pitchers, you know, he hasn't really gotten into much of a groove. And, uh, you know, it seems to um, – I think that the gap of not working with the guys has hurt them uh, to keep them in sync. Uh, so I think, I think that might be fleshed out a little bit as time goes on. I don't think about Cole Hamels. I just, I just don't think his location's there. He's, uh, he's kind of all over the place. Um, that, that could be a minor adjustment, but, uh, um, but yeah, you know, of those six losses, uh, maybe three of them are his fault, and the other three are, are the, the result of poor offense. Okay, so then I, I'm assuming from what I'm hearing from you, uh, Frank, you think Cole Hamels will settle down, and this is just a little bit of a blip. And, and, and Charlie Manuel, too, said that he, he thought that Cole Hamels was trying too hard. Okay. Um, really, it's the first time in his life he signed a, a, a massive contract that he did. So, so maybe when we see it with a lot of players, they, they try too hard after that. They want to justify the money that they're, they're being earned. But I guess it's better than somebody just shutting it down and, and saying, I have my contract, I don't care. Uh, but, um, but, but there might be some truth to that. I mean, he is a, uh, a we, we've known Cole Hamels uh, very well in Philadelphia, and, and his personality, I can see that happening. I know you probably want to do a shout-out, Jim, to uh, to your buddy uh, uh, Kyle Kendrick, right? No, oh, yeah. <laughs> you, see, you see, going back many a year uh, since he's been with this team, he's he's garnered a nickname for me, and that would be Special K, and that's not a positive nickname. But we have, I have to give the man his due. He is the best pitcher he on this team right now in terms of record and ERA and what have you. Has he really changed up his style, his form? I mean, what is it now that's making Kendrick essentially the de facto staff ace on this team? Well, one thing I think people forget very easily is that uh, when, when Kyle Kendrick made his major league debut, it was 2007. The Phillies had made that big trade for Freddy Garcia, and they had to put him on the disabled list uh, almost right away. And so they grabbed this guy out of A. Double A, not Triple A, who had a four and seven record, and just said, "Okay, we 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 need you to uh, fill in for Freddie Garcia until we figure out what's going on." So you're talking about a 22 year old then. He's only 20, uh, 28 now, and uh, he certainly had time to mature. Uh, you know, they they said that that really he had one pitch, um, and that was his cutter, and and that was about it. And and certainly through throughout the years, he's had a chance to to learn new pitches. You know, he's not a one-trick pony anymore. And uh, certainly the influence of players like Roy Halladay and, and the uh, work ethic that Halladay has showed has certainly rubbed off on Kyle Kendrick. So um, it could just be he was thrown into the fire way too early. Um, it was very easy to get down on him. And, and, and even though even though he had his, his uh, down years, he was still winning 10, 10 11 games a year um, right. through a lot of this. So, uh, so I think it's real, we really need to, to sort of hit the reset button on Kyle Kendrick and realize that he came up way too soon, was not polished, never had AAA. He didn't even have the, you know, the, uh, the veterans at AAA you know, that, that used to be in the major leagues to face him before he came up. So I think, I think we're, we're going we're gonna to see uh, uh, somebody now who is fully developed as a pitcher. Tangentially to that topic, you see Pettibone coming up and doing relatively well 
at this early stage. Do you think we see another? Because I know the Phillies have a couple of good young arms, Double uh, A, Triple A. You think somebody from up there makes the move up in the uh, not too distant future if things get desperate? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear us? Hello. Well, I don't know if I, can, I can't hear you on my end. But I, I hope I didn't lose you. Nap. We, we we've got you. Can you hear us? Uh, Apparently, we have a. Uh, a, a mobilization problem. Cell here. issue, yeah, cell issue there. Cell he might issue. give us a call. He might give us a call back in here in a second. We'll, we'll, okay, we'll we'll watch that as we go. I blame we'll, Kyle Kendrick for that. So. <laughs> one I told you things, can't trust him. One of the things I wanted to ask him real quick, uh, and hopefully uh, uh, Frank will join us back in here in a second. Uh, I wanted to ask him, and let me get your thought on. Actually, he's back on with us right now. Let's see if we can. Get All right, him. let's see. Frank, can you hear us? Very oh. sorry about that. There you go. Um, you got us now. I do. Uh, okay, I blame Kyle Kendrick for that. Go ahead. No, I'm kidding. Yes, so I, I, I kind of see him along the lines of more of a Jay Happ. Uh, I would like to see the Phillies ride his first first time around the league luck, and like Jay Happ and like Vance Worley, spin him in a trade. Mm-hmm. I, Interesting. I, I, I think he's a serviceable type. But, you know, he's, he's getting some. Uh, I think he's getting some first time around the league luck. Not to say he's a bad pitcher, but um, you know I think there are definitely others in the organization that that, that are ranked ahead of uh, Pettibone uh, that that the Phillies would like to have uh, a spot in the rotation over Pettibone. So uh, we're looking at somebody who potentially could be a good trade gift for the Phillies. Well, what do you think they, that the Phillies could realistically potentially get in a package deal uh, for sending out Pettibone? Well, it's, it's, it's hard to say now. Um, a lot, a lot would depend on what they do with the trade deadline, what their needs are going to be. You know, so if they if they trade a Chase Utley or a Ryan Howard or a Tree Rollins, uh, they might get some of the pieces that they're looking for and potentially um, shipped out. You know, uh, a lot could happen with this team. Uh, they're three and a half games out of first place right now, um, which is, is uh, ridiculous as that sounds, mm-hmm. uh, but. Um, really, they can kind of go in any direction. And a lot will a uh, be shown to us over the next six, seven weeks uh, as we approach July's trade deadline. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a great point, uh, and you brought it up on last night's show, uh, Frank. Uh, for many of us Phil's fans, we sit around almost talking about this like it's a, uh, like it's a fait accompli, that this team is done or something. They're only five games out of the wild card and three and a half games out of the first, as Atlanta has really, really cooled off. And Washington really has not lived up to their what we what everybody expected. Yeah, it, it, it's it's really funny because it feels like the the team is what it is, which is three games under five hundred. Um, usually, that's not good enough to be this close. Uh, right. So, um, who knows? Of, of the three teams, the Nationals, Braves, and Phillies, somebody might might catch fire and find their way. Maybe if Ruben tomorrow does make a move and, and brings up Darren Ruff and lets him play. Uh, that is that offense that, that puts him over the edge. Uh, a lot of that remains to be seen. And, uh, they'll, they'll kind of just have to uh, um, see if there's anything that gets them moving again. And it's really hard to say because earlier in the season you thought, well, you know, when Carlos Ruiz gets back, we'll get that bat back. Uh, when Delman Young's ready, we'll get a bat. Uh, neither has really done anything. So there's really nothing to look forward to to, to really um, – you know, has has hope that they're going to go on a tear, but um, so it's really hard to say. It's, it, I would hate to be the general manager right now. 
Let me uh, throw a question out to both you guys, uh, both Jim and, and Frank. Uh, mm-hmm. Chase Utley, I believe, is in the last year of his contract. If I, am I correct on that? That's correct. Okay. Now, let's uh, assume uh, – let's look at this two ways real quick. Uh, they don't make a trade. Chase Utley's still on the team. Come next year. What do the Phils do with Chase Utley? Do they re-sign him? That's number one. Or number two, would they be better off at this point right now trading him and trying to get some value for him uh, before the contract expires? Well, I think they need to decide now rather than later whether or not Chase Utley is going to be re-signed. Um, my, my, it's kind of my fear that there is that due to sentimentality, they will give him a deal. Um, and and that, I don't know that that, that 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 would be the best thing for the team. Um, I would try to move him this season if, if unless you really feel like you're going to get that one last uh, final uh, hurrah out of him and the Phillies will make the playoffs. But uh, I don't agree with the Phillies resigning him. Uh, the only exception being if Ryan Howard is traded and first base is an available spot for Chase Utley. Right. Um, that, that's the only scenario I could see where, where it would happen. And, and as, we, as we know, the Phillies would have to eat a lot of money to trade Ryan Howard. But right. um, I, I don't think, like some people, that, that the contract for Ryan Howard is unmovable. Uh, but they just have to be prepared to eat some money. If I follow your thinking on that, though, Frank, if, in fact, the Phils do not re-sign Utley, which I agree with you, I don't think they should, it would benefit them, would it not, to move him right now? It would. It would very much. Um, but, again, I don't know if you want to do that if you really feel like you're going to get a playoff run out of this. So, so that, that might be a question you have to answer, you know, uh, July, beginning of July. Um, start to, to really figure, uh, you know, get dealers for who, who could really use him and, um, you know, what they have. Because I do think he could bring some value. Right. Uh, but, but really, you know, it's really hard to trade him uh, and still make the playoff push. Uh, that, that's really kind of hard to do both. Somebody yeah, it, yeah, it's absolutely contingent upon how well this team is doing in mid-July. I mean, if this team is in first place or within, you know, five games of a playoff spot, I don't think they move him. I don't think they move him at all, not just for what he does on the field, but you remember he is a clubhouse leader, and that's something you cannot measure statistically. Do I think he should stay here sentimentally? Yes. Realistically, no. I, I'm with Frank uh, on this one. I mean, he's going to be 35 next year. He has the history of knee problems, and he's doing well this season. You want to try to get what you can out of him, but you also owe it to yourself with how much you've invested to give it one more go to try to win a title. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that I think realistically, you look at Chase Elliott, Ryan Howard, Jimmy Rollins, I would personally say pick one. Pick one. They're the one that stays around until their end of the career. Um, you know, I, I tend to think that Jimmy Rollins would be that guy because uh, he's still giving you something defensively. Uh, you don't have to lead him off. That, that's something I want to make clear. Uh, but, yeah. um He was there to, through, through uh, the old uh, Terry Francona era into the Charlie Manuel era into becoming a, a world champion. Uh, you know, he had his MVP. I, I think he's somebody that would bridge the gap to get another uh, another core. Um, he would be the one that I would I would keep personally. And part of it is just because, um, you know, the other positions I think are easier to fill. Yeah, in, in many respects, I think you're right. I mean, anybody can strike out a hundred thousand times a, a, a season, like Howard. I, I mean, I'm sorry, that's the biggest nitpick on him, and. 
And I think rightfully so. I mean, yes, most home run hitters do strike out a lot, but he seems to be complete Jekyll and Hyde this season. I think uh, another site, uh, thefightings.com, had a great image up where he has six home runs, but he also has almost 50 strikeouts already this season, which is insane. Uh, So, and with Utley, again, you don't know what you're getting. I I tend to agree with you, Frank. Uh, Plug the site very quickly, philadelphia.com. Tell us all about it very quickly. Well, we're just trying to keep up with, uh, you know, day-to-day news uh, with the Phillies, a little bit of analysis. We try to preview each game and recap each game. Uh, So we we try to stay on top of the uh, Phillies season. And we mix in a little humor here and there and um, just try to make it a a fun Phillies site that's informative and and for somebody who maybe misses a game and, uh, you know, they'll, they'll know they can come to our site and check out what happened. And you're affiliated with Yard Barker, which is affiliated with FoxSports.com. So there you go. You, right. you couldn't ask for anything more. And you do talk about uh, baseball things. You have a great little article about uh, the expanded incident replay possibility coming in next season. We're all for that. Everybody who has half a brain, we're all for that. So yep. uh, that's a good thing. Uh, much appreciated, Frank. Thanks for joining us from uh, Philadelphia.com. Frank Close, owner, owner, editor, and other words I cannot pronounce from Philadelphia.com. Always a pleasure. We hope to have you back soon. Thanks, guys. All right, Frank. Take care. Much appreciated. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Frank Close from Philadelphia.com joining us on Fan Junkies Radio. Good stuff from him. Good stuff. Wow. What a what a heavy dose of uh, soft pretzels today, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. <laughs> and, and, and maybe it's sacrilegious, but I don't put mustard on my pretzels. Oh, that is sacrilegious. It's sacrilegious. I, I just can't. I'm not a mustard guy. I'm not. Just there. How about ketchup on hot dogs? Oh, ketchup on hot dogs, of course. Absolutely. Thank you. Oh. I mean, I just don't <laughs> like mustard, period. I just uh, don't like mustard. I, maybe it's sacrilegious. I don't care. Oh, goodness. There you go. Uh, five minutes at the frat house. Quickly want to let you plug that. Absolutely. Well, uh, you know, we got the new one uh, will be posted up very, very shortly. Uh, That's up on the site now. It it is. Yeah, there's a couple of things I got to do, but I'll I'll get it up over on uh, Facebook very shortly. Uh, So everybody can be looking for that one. We just uh, shot that one last night. I'll be here tomorrow with Frat House Saturday, right here on Fan Junkies Radio, as I usually am. So long as BTR, Blog Talk Radio, doesn't give me any (laughs) hard times like they did last week. We uh, actually missed the show. BTR giving you problems? Gee, I wonder yeah, why I left really, them. Mm. Really? Mm, I don't. So we'll be doing that one. And then, of course, uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday is uh, Jonathan and I right here on our regular Fan Junkies radio program. Uh, and you've uh, you got your CLW83, right? CLW83.com. You were a guest uh, again on Touch Em All this week, uh, the official baseball podcast we do. Talked about a little bit of everything. Talked about Halliday. Talked about J.A. Happ's injury. Talked also about uh, Matt Harvey with the Mets. Man, what a yep. start he is off to. Yep. Amazing stuff. And we also threw the Marlins under the bus, which is always fun. Oh, yeah. So uh, give that a listen, clw83.com. You can listen on Stitcher Radio at stitcher.com and at player.fm as well. All right. There you go. That's our show for this uh, what did we call it? It's a cheesecake, soft pretzel, tasty cake, filled off your Friday here on Fan Junkies Radio. And we appreciate the fact that you have all been listening in. And I want to thank my good friend Jim Williams for sitting in for Mike McShane. I appreciate that. My pleasure. And, uh, you know, th- thank you, Mike. And John will be back on Monday, uh, Lord willing. I'm sure he will be. Yep. And uh, you know the drill. You know the drill. You got to keep us real? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> got to keep this live. You got to keep this going. Absolutely. <laughs> and you got to get me to get with the program, which I will at some point, but not now because the program's over. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> All right. Have a good weekend and catch me tomorrow right here on Fred House Saturday. See you then. So long. <laughs>